Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and usually I'm here with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, but he is enjoying some sabbatical time. So I've invited my friend and fellow spiritual director, Reverend Adele Calhoun, to discuss her book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Each week, we will be discussing a chapter from this transforming resource and looking at it through the lens of the invitations God might have for us, individually and in community, as we emerge from this life-shifting season of the past year and a half. Before we share this week's conversation, I want to let you know that we have revamped our patron program. We are now giving patrons regular, exclusive bonus content that can be downloaded directly into the podcasting app of your choice. You can find out more and sign up to be a patron at patreon.com slash transformingcenter. If you enjoy what we're talking about here on the podcast and want to go a bit deeper with these conversations, the patron program is for you. And now, here is this week's conversation with Adele Calhoun on her book, Invitations from God. Welcome back, Adele, to episode four of our discussion of invitations from God, accepting God's offer to rest, weep, forgive, wait, remember, and more. I am enjoying our conversation so much, <laughs> and it's just so fun to see where they go because we uh, trust each other a lot to just go with the Spirit. This fourth, or this third invitation, actually, is the invitation to practice the presence of people. And I do remember the book from... Mike Mason so long ago about practicing the presence of people. And I love it that you brought it back as one of our invitations from God right now. Tell us a little bit about exactly what it means to practice the presence of people. So there's a lot of research that's come out since I wrote this chapter mm -hmm. that is fascinating to me. Uh, Harvard has a series of what's called still face experiments mm. um, by Tro Tronic is the researcher. And he has uh, a mother with a child in a high chair who just looks at the mother and they're cooing and talking and, you know, just enjoying each other's uh, company. And you, you sense all the beauty of the mother-child connection. And then the mother's face just goes still. Hmm. No affect. The child tries to get her to smile, smiles, bangs the high chair, does things and mother nothing just blank face and and over the experiment you can watch it on youtube you you see the the distress that comes to this child as the mother does not react and then eventually the mother turns to the side and comes back and you know animates her face again and the child calms down and so there's all this research about how the human face can be a way of addressing trauma mirror when we get mirrored back love yeah. and attention and affection and care our brain downloads a, a bunch of chemicals that soothe and make us happy and so the practicing the presence of people i think is is even more profound than i thought it was 10 years ago mm -hmm. that offering god god's i mean even just thinking god's blessing you know the erotic blessing it's about God looking at us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. 
lift his countenance upon you. Mm -hmm. And then all through scripture, don't hide your face. Show me your face. And then the face of God revealed in Jesus. There's something about the human face and this connection that happens when people are seen that is a deeply mending, healing, restoring wonder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like even in seeing your face today, mm -hmm. you know, just just being with your face is it is a, a healing beautiful thing for me yeah and remember you asked me are we going to be on audio or or video and i said well we'll get to see each other today even though yes. it'll just be audio that everyone else gets but it'll be more engaging and it is it i mean is. it is wonderful to be face to face it's much more engaging than if we weren't seeing each other today yeah um so i'm i'm with you on that one i think there's a lot that can get in the way of us really seeing each other as human beings don't you? Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Not to mention COVID and all that. But <laughs> I mean, right. even apart from that, what are some of the things that can help us really see people or give people the gift of being seen? Because it's something that I'm aware of that you can choose to give other people or not. Mm -hmm. You can choose them. You can choose to give them the gift of your seeing presence or you can withhold it. Um, what keeps us from giving that gift to people when it's so in some ways easy to give and so meaningful we see people's faces all day long yeah. <laughs> so i think it must be inadvertent as well as advertent mm -hmm. you know there there are times when um, many of the misunderstandings in my marriage have been because as i race through a room doug is sitting in a chair and i say something i don't look at him i'm just on a tear and he hears something different than I said and then he responds and then you know we're in we're in it mm -hmm. where I feel like if I slowed down looked him in the face said clearly <laughs> what I wanted to say and he could respond yeah we'd have a very different interaction so some of it is just I'm on autopilot yeah I'm not intending not to see him it's just that I'm not seeing him. right seeing him. yeah yeah it's just yeah, you're not even aware of the invitation to give the gift of your presence in that no. moment, your attention. Yeah. One of the things that I just love to do in this category, and I, I've, I have not been able to figure out why it's so satisfying to me, but maybe this helps explain it, is that I will often in grocery stores and stuff like that, especially make co eye contact with the person who's bagging the groceries and really give them my full face and, mm -hmm. and a smile and thank them. Because I, I think that they probably don't get a lot of that. And I just feel drawn to do that. I just want, and I, it feels like I'm giving them something and they've given me something by being careful with my That's groceries. Right. Um, and, and, you know, they don't, they don't, they often don't respond. I mean, they're, they're, they don't look me back in the eye. They, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make eye contact with them and they're not, you know, doing that back with me. But I find myself always still hoping that they remember the encounter yeah, and that they remember that somebody you know, looked them in the eyes with regard today, mm -hmm. you know, rather than not even being seen. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I haven't known why I feel so drawn to do that, but it might, it's, I guess it's this, I guess mm -hmm. it's, I guess it's an invitation from God, right? It's an invitation from God. I, yeah. I do think, you know, all this work, all, again, all this new scientific work mm -hmm. on mirroring. Yeah. We all need somebody to right. mirror mm -hmm. to us that, 
even in all of our mess, they won't go away. They'll stay. They'll love us. Yeah. And that that actually can deconstruct trauma. I'm not going to go away in your mess. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay here while you're here. Yeah. And just to have people shine their face on us. Yeah. Not take us for granted. I, I I don't know. For me, that theological image of shining my face mm-hmm. on people, it's sort of like you, you go in the grocery store and you're shining your face. I'm giving them my face. I you're know that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I am giving them my face. I'm giving them my smile, you know. And it's a, it's a small thing, but it means something to me. And it, and I now I just feel very, very much like God is in that, like God is doing that as an invitation. And that feels really lovely to know that God's right there in those ordinary moments inviting me. Um, to, to, to practice the presence mm-hmm. of people like and this. And that's what's so hard about COVID. Yes, is you, that our faces couldn't you, be you seen. You could not give your face. That's right. That's exactly right. In, you know, in Transforming Community, we have this piece in, in our retreat on prayer where we talk about attachment and attachment theory and how that relates to our right. uh, intimacy mm-hmm. with God. And we always talk about the babies and the children and how attachment is formed through this attunement. When you, and, and mirroring is how you attune, is how a mother attunes, is by mm-hmm. mirroring. And that the research shows that in that early stage, children can't even register emotions unless it's mirrored back. They mm. don't have any way of knowing their own emotions or knowing even what they're feeling or putting words to it or dealing with their feelings and regulating their emotions. If there's not somebody to say to them, oh, you're, you're, you're really sad. That was really hard, wasn't it? And what, what we mirror to the children, then they're able to feel and, mm. and understand and know. But without mirroring, they're cut off from even knowing what they're, what they're feeling and experiencing. Isn't that something? Oh, that is, I wish I had known that. Oh, I know. With my kids, I wish I had had more of a sense of that. So I, I try to shine on them as much as I can. (laughs) Making up, you're making up for lost time. They're 35 and you are shining your face on them. Well, the good news though, is when you see that people who know nothing about mirroring, they do it naturally anyway. We all do that with babies. I feel like God we actually it built it in. Yes. That we just know to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, we, we're silly and, you know, all of that. Okay. And we do it very, very naturally. very naturally. So it's nice that God puts that in us naturally. Yeah. I was struck by a question that you posed on uh, page 62 where you say, do you feel like your relationship quota is full? What does God want to say to you about that? I wanted to talk with you, Adele, about <laughs> relationship quotas. Like, are we allowed to have one? <laughs> do we just have to be available to everyone? everyone? How do we know when our relationship quota is full? What do we do when we notice that? I just thought that was that was a great question because it seems like for many people, COVID was a time of re-examining our relationships and how many, because we couldn't have as many. We weren't no. allowed. We literally couldn't have our relationships. We were always prioritizing, even determining which ones were safe. And that was painful, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I feel that as part of the pain of COVID, especially early on when we didn't know very much. And I even, I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure I did a good job with it in the beginning because, you know, you're always deciding, is this person safe? Can I get close to them? Yes, Can I take right. off the mask? I mean, it was really awkward. And so our relational worlds definitely shrunk and there was loss in that. But I think for introverts like myself, perhaps, it felt kind of good. 
to not have to maintain so many relationships that's at the right. level that I usually do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's part of the adjustment coming out of COVID. It's, and, I know, and I know that there's been some writing done on the fact that people are actually nervous about COVID being over because they are not as good at relating anymore. And that's they're nervous right. coming back into social <laughs> situations. And do I have to take back every relationship I had? Like, um, and so there's kind of a, a nervousness about it. So how do we how do we practice the presence of people and stay open to the presence of people without getting too consumed as we come back? Uh, how much is too much? How do we discern this? Are we allowed to have a relationship quota? Yeah. What do you even mean by that? I just dumped on you. Oh, you did. Oh, well, it wasn't the first time. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> I can dump back. <laughs> so the first thing I, I think about I I feel like you have a big capacity for relationships. I mean, leaders often do. They, And I'm not saying deep, but we have a, a wide circle mm-hmm. that we relate to. And I'm an introvert, so I I can acknowledge that. But I feel like I part of the way I know personally that it's getting too big is when the relationships I feel most responsible to God for suffer. Mm-hmm. That especially as leaders, we can get very drawn, distracted, pulled into crises and, and, and COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways the crises were harder and in some ways they were easier because if you got pulled into a crisis, um, it was very clear what you could and couldn't do about mm-hmm. it. Where often there's... a th- thousand different choices you can make about a crisis and what you're going to do with it. That's exactly right. And now as that's a reason why people are afraid to go, we're going to have terrific PTSD at some point as we head into the fall, I think. And it'll be very hard then (laughs) to say, how much uh, time do I give to crisis management when I myself may be having PTSD about all the people and all the relationships. And, And I felt... I, I felt like coming out of COVID, I, mm-hmm. I wasn't as sure relationally. Right. You know, it was just dugging me. Two people in our house. Right. Yeah, I remember the first retreat that we did, and we did it hybrid. And um, we did our best with all the protocols and everything. And and we have not had anyone get sick from being with us. And, and I'm so grateful to God for that because, you know, we, as leaders, you really feel a sense of responsibility, responsibility. when right. you start convening people again. But I, you know, I was vaccinated. And so, you know, it was still quite unknown as to whether or not the vaccines, how effective they are and whether or not they, you know, will be able to keep you from the variants and all that sort of thing. And I, the awkwardness in every encounter where, and do you hug? Yeah, who do you hug? And and then people come up and they feel more comfortable than you do, perhaps, or they whip out their vaccination card and they say, I've vaccinated. And then they whip you up in a hug. (laughs) And you're like, wait a second, I didn't have a chance to choose that. (laughs) I didn't have a chance to discern (laughs) this, you know? And I was like, and, and sometimes I was even jumping back from people when they were coming towards me. I'm not like that in, yeah. in my normal life. I am usually a leaner inner, you know, but I was like stepping back and jumping back and all skittish. And I'm like, wow, this is bizarre. You know, people I love and people I really want to be close with, but I'm jumping back because I'm nervous. So all of this has to do with practicing the presence of people. And there's even some slight <laughs> nuances to it right now. Right. 
even how do we be sensitive to each other when we don't know where the other person is at? That could be part of practicing the presence of people right now, right? That's right. Reading some body language. That's right. Coming in slowly. Okay. Yeah. And bring really, it in, Ruth. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no. I'm not ready for that. You know. Um, and could we see that as being love? Could we see mm-hmm. that as being a way of practicing the presence of people? Totally. Versus just insisting, well, I feel comfortable, so you should too. So I'm going to come in and swoop you up in a big hug. Mm-hmm. You know, it just feels like another. And this is the way we framed it on our retreats. That this is a place to really practice loving people concretely in terms of being sensitive to their sensitivities and mm-hmm. not just making my own comfort level the measure of all things. That's right. That's it's felt right. kind of good actually to have some concrete ways to love mm-hmm. even better and more and to see it that way versus well, why are you so skittish? Or you should be willing to do what I'm willing to do. That's right. I'm vaccinated, so. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you should be comfortable. I like that, that when the relationships that I feel most responsible to God for are suffering. Is there anything else that gives you a hint that you have reached your relationship quota? And what do you do when you get to that awareness? So I think another thing is when I look at the relationships that I have and I say, is this about meeting everybody's expectations of mm-hmm. me? Or is this something yeah. I'm called to do? Yeah. Because yeah. being in ministry, it feels like expectations are around every corner and mm-hmm. in every person. And if if your well-being depends on meeting expectations, yeah. invitations here to do a lot of things for a lot of people, is that about me needing to be liked? Is that about me needing something, my giving to get? You know, what is it about in me or is this something that's mine to do? And so I think the question is that, that I like, that I ask myself is, is this mine to do? Yes, yes. Is this person mm-hmm. mine to, to to spend time with? Mm-hmm. And is is it mine or is it somebody else's? Yeah. And this is a place where routine spiritual friendships I think can function really really well that when we're feeling like we're not clear we're feeling inundated with requests we're feeling overwhelmed we're feeling exhausted and we're not sure if we can say yes or no because we've kind of gotten lost in it all you know I remember what when we used to get together for group spiritual direction this would be the kind of question we would be able to bring and then you know then the, the spiritual friend could put put those questions back. Where is this coming from in you? Do you, you know, do you feel like you have to, do you feel like there's any other option? I mean, that's what I appreciated about regular group spiritual direction was that we were always bringing this kind of thing to each other. And I felt bolstered in my ability to say my yeses and my noes by having spiritual friends who are really attending to my soul and who cared about my soul more than my successes or more than my you know, feelings of indispensability or whatever. It's one of the greatest values, I think, of group spiritual direction and spiritual companionship is that it provides the context for for these kinds of things, these kinds of questions to be brought up by loving friends. That's right. And and in those questions, you ask about capacity, season, what's going on in your life, because at some points you can have more face-to-face time with people than at other times and there's not like a oh this is the capacity and it's never going to change it goes that's right like this yeah and even like you know if you're if you're really intimate spiritual friends you can ask that that question about 
well, how are your closest relationships feeling to you right now? The ones that you feel most responsible to God for, do you feel like they're getting the best of you? Or do you feel like they're getting the dregs and just what's left over? What a great, like, you know, when it comes from a spiritual friend who loves you, it doesn't feel judging or shaming or anything. It just feels so loving to have somebody ask you a question that is that thoughtful. So I just wanted to put in a plug for spiritual friendship right there because that's also a way of practicing the presence of people is is. giving each other this kind of attention as friends, you know? And now, Steve and I would like to take a moment to share a little bit about another way you can go even deeper on your spiritual journey around the themes we're discussing here on the podcast. We'd like to tell you about our Transforming Communities. Transforming Communities is a practice-based spiritual formation experience with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to integrate your spirituality and your leadership and help you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. I was a part of TC6 way back in 2011, and it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. It is really hard to explain all that happens in this two-year, 27-month experience. So over the course of this season, we're going to be inviting different ones of our alums to share about what their transforming community experience meant to them. So here's what this week's alum has to say. When I first came to the Transforming Center, I was really at the end of the spiritual road, so to speak. I had spent the past few years really deconstructing my faith to the point where I rolled into that first retreat holding on to just the bare threads of what remained. And because of my previous experience with Ruth, I knew that she was going to be a safe person to reconstruct my faith with, but I really had no idea what to expect of everyone else, of the 90 or so other people who were a part of the community. And time and again, I found myself met with such grace and love and openness that I really think speaks to the transforming center and the community they establish. It is so clear from the very start that the transforming center is cultivating a community that holds space for each person to hear from God directly, and that the invitation is for each of us to be open and curious to what God might be saying, not just to ourselves, but also to others. And with that clearly established expectation, I was able to hear from God clearly and intimately, and my heart was able to stay open enough to receive his offering. It became absolutely the safest place for me to begin reconstructing my faith, and I will be forever grateful to the Transforming Center and those 90 or so community members who held me so well in that season. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and to apply to the next transforming community. And now back to my conversation with Adele on invitations from God. Well, let's talk just a little bit about practicing the presence of people in relationships that have been fractured Mm -hmm. during the last year due to the differences in response to the pandemic, racial inequities, political matters. Um, What we have experienced relationally in the last 18 months proves the point that um, relationships are never a safe investment. You make that point in your chapter that relationships are not a safe investment. There's always risk involved. Mm -hmm. And we all have scars to prove it. We all have scars. 
So what do we do with the wounds and the scars that we accumulate over a lifetime of being in relationship with other people? That's one question. And then what do we do now with relationships that seem broken Mm -hmm. beyond repair or that need to be kept at a superficial level in order to even stay in the same room? I mean, that's what I'm seeing a lot of is that once you know where the landmines are, everybody stays way up here and you don't talk about anything of significance anymore as a way of avoiding the landmines. I mean, so those are two really significant questions. What do we do with wounds and scars? Because we all have them. And then what do we do now with relationships that seem either broken beyond repair or there's just no coming together at all? I think this is a COVID question. I mean, it's not a COVID question. It's this last 18 months with everything that's been in it. It's true. So we can go at the COVID piece or we can go at the scar piece. One of the things I, I, I just want to say, even within family systems where it's been broken because of just vast differences mm-hmm. of opinion and we're all up here on the surface. And, and in, in my system, that's true. It's like, well, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. Yeah, can we? Can we I've heard some families. How are you? We just, How we, are your yeah, kids? Yeah, we just drink a lot. That's all we do when we get together. Yeah. Let's not talk that's about the way it. we cope is that we all just drink a lot. No politics, please. Yeah. But I do think that there, that that in terms of pain and carrying relational pain, we all collect in our life pools. Like It's like there's a well of relational pain, and each relational pain sort of feeds into that well, unless we're very attentive to mm-hmm. it and how it's filling up. Because eventually, you know, the, yeah. you're, you're in a relationship, and... And it hurts and the whole well of pain comes up and there is this response that's way bigger than what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That blows up the relationship. And so for me, part of it is attending to how how deep is that well of pain, that pool, how much is collecting. And did what this person said is, is what's coming up like years of pain mm-hmm. or am I addressing what was said here and for me that's just a, a a quick and important assessment because during covid you know relationships that may have been fine before covid but somewhat strained during mm-hmm. covid ended up being way more than strained that's right but all of the history is coming into this year that's right and also you there weren't you couldn't get together for so long like so conversations that you would never you would never have by phone or whatever you wait for the face to face but the face to face wasn't possible so you yeah. just had to leave stuff under the rug because you couldn't get together to actually work on anything Mm-mm. so we need to pay attention to the well and then for me part of of my image of what i do with my pain always has to do with jesus scars mm mm-hmm. That even in heaven, there is the man with a body who has scars. Mm-hmm. And the scars that he got on earth give glory to God in heaven. And that there's something about my pain, my relational pain, that is a place of solidarity with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he understands relational pain and betrayal by his inner circle. He understands his family thinking he's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had those experiences. And so when I have the experience of my family thinking I'm crazy, I am not alone. Mm-hmm. And 
And honestly, that helps me so much <laughs> to find my story in Jesus' story it makes all the difference to me. It's not, yeah. it's not like I'm a victim. It's not. It's just like I'm following mm -hmm. Ruth. I'm following Jesus. It happened to him. It's happening to me. Yeah, it's not a surprise. And mm -hmm. so, when I can feel like you understand me and I understand you, I can I can hold the pain in a very different way, not transmit stuff yeah so it changes the narrative i guess part of it's always pain is always a narrative yes and yes. what is your narrative that you're carrying about the other person we need to say more about that because oftentimes the narrative we create hurts more than the thing itself mm -hmm. and people don't even know that they that they create narratives and so i think to name that is really valuable right now we have to be really careful the narratives that we develop around the things that happen to us because the narratives could be worse than the reality and so maybe that's another another practice here is to really watch the narratives narratives and the meanings that we place on things mm -hmm. and i think that's really helpful i'm very glad that you mentioned the word narrative because it just matters so much and boundaries maybe is another mm -hmm. word to bring in yeah if the relationship is so toxic and the ability to to co to have conversations is impossible yeah then boundaries are are there for a reason to protect you and to protect other people. And right. it can be really hard to set a boundary. I mean, I set a boundary once and somebody mm -hmm. said, I can never talk to you about in somebody in my family. I can never talk to you about anything important. That was their narrative. <laughs> All I said was that we didn't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Woo. Okay. Yeah. I guess that's how you mm -hmm. feel about it. But I knew that I knew what the interaction would be like. And it, it's, it wouldn't it wouldn't leave us loving each other it wouldn't leave us full of love joy peace patience illness goodness kindness and self-control yeah. it would leave us both frustrated that the other person did not think like us mm -hmm. it strikes me that at the very heart of this practicing the presence of people is the invitation to love and to actively ask the holy spirit what does love call to right now what does love call me to in this moment and you know what you just said is very loving but you know sometimes the word boundaries doesn't sound very loving but there might be other ways to really express real love in 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 saying no i don't think that that is the right place for, that's not the right conversation for us to have right now I don't think it will go well I don't think it will take us to good places how about if we not do that and it's it, to me it can be an expression of love at times it, it it can be and it doesn't it's hard sometimes to know how the other person's going to hear it yeah right so remember on Christmas day calling somebody very dear to me and you know how's your family you know what you want to hear on Christmas day is what's going on in the family on Christmas mm -hmm. day and within two minutes this person started talking politics this was oh, this Christmas wow. and I was like it's Christmas day yeah can we not can we do just this today not do yeah. this today right because and then it was like but this is the reality mm -hmm. of what's going on. And I know the reality that's going on. But Christmas happens once a year. Can we just yeah. stick with Christmas? Yeah. You know, there's a sense in which <laughs> <laughs> that was the boundary. <laughs> oh, Sometimes staying on the surface level is the most loving thing we can do. Mm -hmm. I think there can be a difference between that and avoidance. You know, mm -hmm. a psychologically unhealthy style of avoidance. Mm -hmm. 
uh, I think a loving choice like that is different than just avoidance mm -hmm. um, because perhaps it always carries with it a willingness to go there if the time was right and if right. it seemed like there would be any goodness in it. We're not trying to avoid, but we are trying to ask and, ask, ask and answer the question, what does love call to right here? Mm -hmm. What is the greater good here? That's right. So, I mean, that's just a little bit of my own reflection on what to do now with relationships that seem broken uh, or need to be kept at a superficial level. What would we say to pastors right now who are trying to convene their congregations back into a place of togetherness when all these rifts and <sighs> disagreements are now on the surface? I don't. Is there anything that we could say that would be hopeful or instructive to pastors right now? I wonder if people could really practice the presence of other people. You know, mm -hmm. could we say, yeah, you're, we have a lot of, we have a lot of diversity here in mm -hmm. this room. And can you really look at these people as people who have the image of God on their face? Mm -hmm. These people have the spirit inside. Can we, can we go back to being the body of Christ? and respect and honor the beauty of that creation God has made. And could that become more of a ground for connection than agreement about even theology, politics? Mm -hmm. What if that, it could, could that be enough common ground to move together on things of mutual concern for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Do you think that possible? I do. I also realize, though, that many, many people come into the church without ever having had any any instruction for how to do that. They may not have experienced mm. that potential in their family. Conflict could have been the scariest thing ever. Maybe they never witnessed conversations where people love and respect each other on that level. So I'm wondering if there might be a call to pastors right now to actually provide guidance and instruction and teaching on a different way of doing relationships. Of course, that means the pastor has to be able to experience that for themselves, which yeah. I can't take that, you know, for, for granted. But I just think we might be in a moment where some real teaching and instruction is needed for how to have conversations that we would call transformational. How can we, mm -hmm. you know, be on a path of transformation together and trust that God has given us to each other as agents of grace? And, you know, Bob Mulholland talks about agents of God's troubling grace. You know, that in the body of Christ, others are agents of God's troubling grace for us. Can can we teach and help us all to receive each other that way and to say, you know, it's not transformational to just get together with a homogeneous group and everybody no, be the same until we die. Mm -hmm. That's not transformational. No. Is there a higher goal? Could we say God has given us to each other to be agents of grace, agents of God's yes. troubling grace yes. sometimes? Let's talk about how we can be on a transformational journey mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. learning, growing, and being in, you know, having mutually influencing relationships versus just lobbing our opinions and our theological positions across the chasm of the divide, you know? I, I, there is a real, there is a really unique opportunity right now, but you got to really want it. That's the yeah. other thing. People have to really want this and we'll see if they do. We'll see well, if there's enough desire. And I, I, I love what you're saying because I couldn't agree more. I feel like people are going to need help with these conversations Yes, and even having phrases given to them. I know that can sound really cheesy, but it has helped me yes. it, when I disagree with yes. somebody or to be able to say, you know, that doesn't work for me mm -hmm. or 
that's not a confrontational statement. Sometimes mm-hmm. the only way we know is to sort of push back. Mm-hmm. What are the ways that we can help people be curious, be courteous? Oh, know? absolutely. Those basics, I think they fly out the window in the midst of these tough conversations. Mm-hmm. But to be reminded, and like you said, to have words given to you that you could use. Mm-hmm. Um, say more about say that. Say more about that. I'm just wondering about, or one of the things I struggle with is, or I had this mm-hmm. experience that, you know. And I wonder what you would think of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah there are, and I think that, that those, give, I've been given those things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not, it doesn't mean there's something wrong with me that I don't know them instinctively. They may never have been in my home. But right. that doesn't mean that I can't learn them. And somebody has to teach you, though. And I think yeah, that's the pastor's job. You. I think it's the pastor's job. And I think pastors need to lead in that way right mm-hmm. now, helping congregations have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Another phrase that is is cheesy, and it could sound cheesy, but it means something every time I, I hear it, is please help me understand. Mm-hmm. That That is a, clearly a phrase that comes out of conciliatory trainings and mm-hmm. conversations. But when someone says that to me, even if it sounds kind of rote, <laughs> I still really appreciate hearing it. Like they really want to be helped to understand. I, you know, right. those are the kinds of things we can say. And even if we struggle to say them, and even if we maybe don't all the way mean them, you know, those words really help. They are the lubricant of good conversations that are actually could be transforming in the end. So. Well, and, and it goes back, we're validating and mirroring to mm-hmm. them that we hear them. That's right. Yeah. And that may be much more powerful than anything we exactly. say. I'm standing here. I'm listening to the way you disagree me. Mm-hmm. We, we, I'm not going away. I'm Right. Even saying to someone that makes sense to me, or when someone says that to me, even if I know they don't agree with my position, but they say that makes sense to me. That is, it's very life-giving. It's very helpful. It's very bonding. And so I do think that there are ways that we can walk together and be together with people from differing points of view. We don't have to leave each other right now, but I cannot overstate the importance of the presence of the pastor right now in these things, the actual mm-hmm. leadership of the pastor to lead people into these kinds of conversations and, and to give them the tools that they need. And we might have to, we might have to do a little bit of study ourselves to figure out how to help people with that. But we need leadership right now to help the Church of Jesus Christ come back together and walk together in transforming ways. But I don't know about you, Adele, but I feel really excited about these possibilities. I I think that practicing the presence of people in some of the ways that we've stated actually bring a lot of hope to my heart. What do you think? Well, particularly right now with COVID, Ruth, I feel like this is an opportunity for the church to say, mm-hmm. how do we be the body? Yeah. I mean, we have we had a, a, a circumstance like this in recent history mm-hmm. where there's di- so much division and misunderstanding? Can we as the body come together and know how to listen and say, um, I'm, I'm glad you told me that. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I know we disagree, but I really appreciate that you're thoughtful in your decision, yes. you know, in your... It feels like we have the opportunity to do something that could maybe undo part of the narrative about what the church is like. That's right. And if we don't address it, that narrative about who we are is going to be a narrative that the world gets to dictate. That's right. So now I want to pray. Now I want to pray (laughs) and I want to say, oh God, may it be so. Please help us as leaders to lead out in these things. Please help us to be able to have the kinds of conversations that would bring us together versus 
continuing to blow us apart. We pray that the wind of your spirit would blow in new ways in your body and that we would become all that you prayed for us to be and all that you hope for us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts to choose from, and I'm grateful you have spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation by joining a transforming community. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. Also, thanks for your support of the podcast and the work of the Transforming Center. If you have enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can become a partner and receive exclusive content by visiting patreon.com slash transformingcenter.